Welcome to The Female Red Zone, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. Welcome to The Female Red Zone. This is Mary Beth Kosmeski. Today I'm interviewing Ruth Ross. Ruth is a very accomplished and experienced human resources executive. She spent 30 years as a senior human resources leader at top Fortune 100 companies, both in New York City and San Francisco. Her last 10 years in corporate America were spent as an executive vice president at Wells Fargo Bank, where she managed all human resources activities for the corporate finance organization. In this role, she was responsible for employee engagement, merger integration, employee relations, compensation, talent management, diversity, and leadership development. And prior to joining Wells Fargo, Ruth led HR for major divisions at Charles Schwab, Estee Lauder, American Express, Payne Weber, and Citibank. In 2011, Ruth opened up her own consulting firm to focus on the intersection where human capital and business process sort of come together in organizations. And that's what we're going to really talk about today. Ruth is the author of a book called Coming Alive, which is a wonderful book. And I'm very excited to have Ruth on our show today. Welcome. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. Well, it is my pleasure. I'm so happy to have you here. So, you know, you and I have spoken a lot about uh, the things that have happened in your career and why you decided to take this journey. But if you could share with our audience why you decided to take this journey of having your own business as opposed to you're very successful in corporate America. And a lot of people would go, why would you, Ruth, why would you ever leave that? Um, so talk sure. a little bit about, about how your tra- some of your transitions happened. So um, it's a great question because I really think it kind of sets the foundation for the conversation. I was so fortunate in my career. I worked for some amazing companies, both in New York and in San Francisco, for some terrific people, and nothing about my former company was really the issue. It was something inside of me. And it all came out one day in the fall of 2010. So figure we're a couple of years into the financial crisis, right, that started in 2008. It was a crazy time in the banking industry with consolidation. Wells had acquired Wachovia, kind of doubled in size overnight. And one morning I was getting ready to go to work, doing my usual routine, and I'm standing in front of the mirror, kind of combing my hair, and all of a sudden I just had this compulsion to just kind of stop and look in the mirror, and I screamed out loud, what the heck are you doing? You are completely dead inside and have lost the passion for what you've done for 30 years in corporate America. So I'm kind of having this one-way conversation, but it was really this epiphany moment for me where I finally just acknowledged what I think I had been feeling for quite some time. That was really a watershed moment for me. Well, do you think that that watershed moment happens for most people? Because I, I, I kind of think that, that it doesn't happen maybe for a lot of people where they realize, oh my gosh. Well, you know, I think every one of us has actually really either felt disengaged themselves because that was really what this moment was all about for me or has a close friend or loved one who hasn't or maybe managed someone because the numbers are so prevalent. 87% of the global workforce at some point has identified themselves as being disengaged at one moment or another. 87% globally, 68% in the U.S. So I do think that we've all kind of maybe felt it, but we didn't know what to call it. 
we just knew we had those these feelings. Maybe we thought we were burnt out. Maybe we thought we were just stressed. Maybe we thought something else. But we really didn't know the name to call it. It was that day for me where I put a name to the feelings and diagnosed my own disengagement. Well, and then, so if if people are maybe looking at their own careers and at some point in time saying, I'm I'm disengaged in one way or another, then isn't the real question, well, what do you do about it? Absolutely. You know, there's real, I'd like to say there are three things that happen when you have sort of this moment and whether you know what name to put around it or whether you just recognize that there's a feeling, I really believe there are three things that happen. One thing is that maybe you say to yourself, you know, I know something's not right here. I know that I am not really thriving in what I'm doing. I'm really just kind of working to survive. But right now is not the right time to do something about it. Maybe I can't rock the boat. Um, I need the paycheck, the benefits. I'm just not in a position to really do something about it. But at least I can admit it and understand what's going on in my life. Or maybe the second thing happens where you say, you know, I think just this tweaking of something, I need a spark. I like to call it job sculpting, where maybe I'll go talk to my manager or someone in HR or a trusted colleague, where I'd say, you know, I just need a little something to reignite the flame of engagement. And thinking back for me, maybe if I had gone to someone and said, you know, I love what I do in HR, but I've been supporting the same client group for 10 years. Maybe if you switch me over into sales instead of finance or technology, that could reignite my spark. Or the third and final thing that happens is what happened to me, where I sort of had this one-way conversation in the mirror where I said, I really think I'm at the point where I need to figure out how to walk towards something better, not run away. But now I really need to be thoughtful and strategic and planful and say, what is it that I'm really passionate about and what are my deal breakers? And that's the road that I chose to go. And I actually spent 10 months while still at work trying to be that thoughtful person who eventually figured it out. So those are really my three things that I think can happen if someone diagnoses their disengagement. So a, a couple questions around that. One is, you know, so what does one do if they feel that they're burnt out or maybe need a, a new spark or something and they want to stay in the organization or, or maybe they don't know if they want to stay there or not? I mean, how do you find this, this purpose, if you will, or something that will re-engage? So you said maybe go talk to somebody else, but I know you help people with this. So what are some strategies that we can do to find what is that purpose? You spent nine months, um, you know, working on it. Well, I think first of all, each of us individually need to be our own CEO. We need to be our own chief engagement officer. Because if you sit around and wait for someone else, lots of time is going to go by and kind of unsuccessfully. So I knew for me, I needed to own my own feelings. You know, my husband came home that night after work. I talked to him. I said, look, I own this, that I feel like in some ways I'm a fraud. Right? I'm collecting a, a paycheck, I sit in a nice corner office, but at the end of the day, I just don't think I'm 100% there, and I'm going to own those feelings. And then what I did was literally, talk about old-fashioned, forget technology, I literally took out a plain piece of paper, and I put a line down the middle of the paper. 
And on one side, I started to think about what were those things that I loved to do that really got me excited and I really wanted to do more of. And so for me, it was things around, I wanted to do more creative things. I wanted to be able to write more. I wanted to be able to change the sort of corporate conversation and dialogue around the issue. And then on the right side of the page, I said, what are my deal breakers? And there were a couple of things. And truthfully, the one that really stood out for me was I knew a deal breaker for me was I didn't want a boss anymore. Mm. I really knew I wanted to work for myself because I had had, while I had some great bosses in my career, I also had some bad ones, whether they were just incompetent or they were bully bosses or whatever the case may be. I knew for me, a deal breaker was going through another bad boss situation. So those are the kinds of things where I literally took out that piece of paper and I said, okay, so now that I know what I'm passionate about and what my deal breakers are, now I really need to figure out those intangibles. Like, did I have a walkaway fund? Something I encourage everyone to start saving for really young in their career to give you choices. You know, did I have the support at home or with others to allow me to kind of spread my wings and go after my calling? And so all of these things sort of happened among the 10-month period. And then finally, I started having conversations with people who had done what I was looking to do myself mm. to really find out, was it as good as I thought it was, right? Was the grass greener? So I started having a lot of conversations, you know, after work, lunchtime, weekends, et cetera, to really find out what were the pros and cons of going out on my own. That's how I did it. Well, and I think that sounds like a really smart way to do it and very logical in, in your approach to getting to whatever that end is that you're looking for. You know, you mentioned something before about, I think it was 68% of United States companies and 87% worldwide have employees that are, or of the employees are, you know, disengaged at some point in time, right? Right. That's the percentage. Those statistics actually come from the Gallup organization. And, and while there are many others that are in the game in terms of measuring engagement, Gallup really are, I like to call them sort of the granddaddy of, 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 of this whole thing. And uh, they do a, a big state of the workplace survey every 18 months. And the really sad fact is, since I've been sort of tracking this and really focusing on it over the last five years, the needles only moved by 2%. So right now, 32% of the U.S. workplace that they've surveyed. So again, you have to look at validity of, of metrics, but it's not really about the number. I'd like to say it's more about the trend. But right now, 32% of the U.S. workforce identifies themselves as engaged. So therefore, 68% disengaged. And of that, 17% of that 68 are actually what call themselves actively disengaged. So those are the ones that aren't really quiet about this, right? But they're really the ones that want you to know just how miserable they are. And this global problem is, is actually much bigger on a worldwide basis. There's a lot of unhappiness out there from people that are just saying, I'm not there. I'm not 100% engaged. If I'm the CEO of a, of a company and I think to myself, only 32% of the people that work at this company are engaged, 
uh, how much more profitable could we be? How much more productive could we be if we had uh, a larger proportion of our employees engaged? And that leads me to the question, which is, you know, what, what do you recommend organizations do? Because every single individual has their own maybe moment of feeling burnt out or feeling that they're not engaged. Are there some strategies that corporations couldn't put in place to avoid some of this or to identify it uh, better? Because if, if it's only moving 2%, whatever they're doing isn't working yet. Well, and let me answer it this way by, by sharing with you one additional stunning statistic, and then I'll answer that question. You were talking about companies and how do they make money. There's an absolute ROI, right, a return on investment of engagement. And the really stunning statistic is that in the U.S. alone, the cost of lost productivity due to disengagement is approaching $550 billion a year. Mm. So I ask this question all the time. And I will tell you honestly that the solution, as I see it, based upon my experiences in this field and then going through it myself, it's not to go throw more money at the problem. It's not about programs or perks. It's actually not rocket science at all. My key to solving this issue is simply getting back to the basics of connecting Connecting between a manager and an employee, that one-on-one -on -one connection can do more to solve the engagement crisis than anything else. And that's about really having conversations. I, I refer to them as sort of rooted in a stay conversation. And it's about sitting down with people a couple of times a year that is completely separate and apart from any update on a to-do list or any performance management discussion, but it's really sitting down and having that connecting conversation. I actually refer to it in my book and in all of my work. It's a five-step, I call it a five-step treatment program called Alive, and it's really rooted in five things. It's about asking the right questions. It's about listening not just to what people actually tell you verbally, but what they're not telling you through their nonverbal cues that you want to pick up on, then it's taking some time, a day or two, to really process what you heard and what you saw, and a manager identifying two to three reaction steps based mm -hmm. upon that conversation, right, that might re-engage someone or might remove an obstacle that's causing them pain. Then it's getting back together in that same week to really thank them for the honest conversation, but equally as important to validate that those identified reaction steps are the right ones and gain consensus and agreement. And then the fifth and final step in Alive is simply executing on that plan that you've agreed to. So those are the five steps of Alive. And I will tell you it doesn't cost anything unless maybe you decide to have the conversation over coffee or lunch. But I've seen it work so beautifully about getting that relationship really grounded and connected. Well, and it seems awfully logical, right? It seems like, right. well, that would be something that, of course, a manager would do with their people at some level. But the idea is that it's not happening. Was it, was it happening in, in the organizations that you worked in? I will tell you anecdotally from all the conversations I've had, right, the work I've done either in corporations or talking, it does not happen very much at all. People get really busy. I had a boss who, very well-intentioned, but was very busy. 
And so his idea of connecting and conversing was to send me emails or text. And how I knew he was feeling that day was whether or not the cap lock on the computer was stuck in the on position <laughs> or how many explanation points were at the end of the sentence. Now, if you asked him, he would say we were having conversations, but that's really not connecting. And people are so busy, and so they're having conversations, but what they're doing in those conversations is that they're reverting back to, so tell me what's happening on the projects you're working on, or maybe giving some feedback about something that's happening. But they're not asking the really probing questions around, hey, Ruth, how are you really feeling about what's going on at work today? You know, what's the one thing that's getting in the way of you being successful? Or, you know, what's the one thing that, makes you ill at the thought of getting up and going to work on a Monday. Those are questions that are going are to get at your level of engagement much more than tell me the status of what's happening on the marketing project. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, did you have mostly male bosses or were there female bosses as well? Oh, you know, I would say half and half. And I would say from an equal employment opportunity perspective, I've had bully bosses that were both male and female. So for me, I couldn't tell you that it was one or the other. I think it was more around just sort of how they operated or maybe how they were feeling. Because a lot of times and a lot of research will tell you that a lot of people who become bullies in the workplace are people that maybe aren't feeling the most confident and great about how they're doing themselves and they manifest itself in this behavior. Yeah, I, I have seen that. I've seen that myself for sure. So since you started your own firm, what has been maybe a, a really surprising thing or something that, that's happened that you just didn't expect as an entrepreneur versus working in, in a corporate environment? Well, I think the first thing for me was, and I know I'm talking to a prolific writer and author of so many books. I only have one. <laughs> so far, right? But I will tell you, it was the hardest thing I've ever done, but also one of the most satisfying things I've ever done. And, you know, I was a very successful executive who only wrote business memos. I had absolutely no idea that there was a writer lurking inside of me. And now I love when people, I, I, I write a blog, a newsletter, I've, I've been published in a number of you know, great things like Huffington Post and Forbes and Boston Globe and others. And I love when people send me a note and tell me how much they enjoy my writing. So I have to say on a personal note, I was really surprised that when you are passionate about something and you have a calling, that how easy that comes now. And then I would say, with related to the work, I think what I've been most surprised about is when I go in and I talk, to groups of managers or um, go and uh, train them or others and I'm talking to them about how they can engage others how often people come up to me after the fact and say oh my god you don't know how much I needed this it's I guess I needed to learn what to do with my employees but frankly what you've taught me is that I really needed to take a long look in the mirror about myself because my batteries are not charged and I realized that I've got to take care of my own engagement level first before I have any chance of engaging my own employees. 
And that was the biggest aha for me in terms of the large number of people who told me that. Well, that's a major insight. And think of that as the as maybe the root of the problem. So across the board, we can feel disengaged. But if our boss is disengaged, if our if our C-suite people are disengaged, guess what? I mean, we're going to have, a, you know, a lot more disengaged people because if they're not engaged themselves, how can they possibly help us to become more engaged? It is 100% the root of the problem. I am very fond of saying that a dead battery can't charge another because I will tell you, and the statistics will bear this out, that if, if you do have a disengaged manager, they cannot engage their team. It's just not going to happen. And so managers, you know, really have an important role in this, okay, because they have to not only take care of themselves, but they have to look out for other people. So I think they've got the toughest job when it comes to engagement. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. Um, so I know that you wrote this book, Coming Alive, The Journey to Reengage Your Life and Career. Talk a little bit about that book. I mean, we've been talking about the book, um, but talk a little bit about uh, more about the book so people can get a little bit of a summary on it. Sure. So thank you. I think for me, when I set out to write the book, the biggest challenge I had was who am I writing this book for? And I think you know that as an author, right? That when you go into something, you immediately know who your audience is. I didn't know. Because when I started to write the book, I thought, well, is it a primer for managers about how to engage their people and what's going on in the workplace? Yes. Is it a primer for people like me who personally diagnosed their own disengagement and knew that I had to re-engage? And how it was affecting me at home? Well, yes. <laughs> and I remember meeting with someone who uh, became a wonderful coach to me uh, on the book. And I said, do I have to write too? And we ultimately figured out a way that I could really weave it together. So I think the great thing is, it's for all of us. And I really tried to take the tone with this book. You know, I'm a baby boomer. So my, I'm of the generation of uh, people that read The One Minute Manager which was a short, easy-to-read book about management that really became sort of the Bible. And I wrote this book with the intention of being the one-minute manager for re-engagement. And I added some wonderful personal stories of people who had gone through this as well. I got to interview a lot of people. And so I really wanted something that was an easy read, but no matter which bucket you fell into, or in my case, I was both, right? I was a manager and individual employee that I wanted anyone to be able to look at it. And the last point I'll make about this is I really wanted people to understand that you cannot compartmentalize your life. That what happens at work affects you at home and what happens at home affects you at work. And so I really wanted to make sure that I brought that into the book as well. Yeah, that's so important because I, I, I think there's there's not this switch. I think we all, you know, sort of intuitively know it, but there's not a switch that we turn off when we leave a bad job and go home and, you know, supposedly have this wonderful time now at home. Now, some people can make that switch better than others, but I've never been able to do that. If it's if it's something that I really don't like doing, it's going to appear and manifest in my personal life as well. A hundred percent. Because what happens is when you're dealing with stress at, at, at home, let's say we have financial issues or children or relationship or, or anything that comes up in the, in the daily life, right? When you get dressed in the morning, that stress gets dressed with you 
and yeah. commutes with you into the office, right? Whether we think it's happening or not, believe me, it's happening. And then conversely, when you're dealing with stuff, so, you know, I've been honest in saying that I, I've had a bully boss or two or three <laughs> in my career, that when something happened where that person said something rude to me, it really would affect me. And I'd come home and, you know, I'd get home and my dear husband would say to me, oh, honey, you know, let's go out, you know, don't cook tonight. Let's go out and have a romantic dinner. And I'd be like, can you order Thai food? Because I'm just going to go in the bedroom and, you know, kind of surf my iPad or watch TV. I don't even feel like eating. Now, I don't do that to be rude. I don't do it intentionally. But that's how I felt in the moment that I needed to just come home and debrief and sort of get that ugliness out of my day. Well, what I realized as part of my epiphany face in the mirror moment was that I wasn't being fair to my loved ones because I wasn't 100% there for them. So it absolutely does affect us whether we intend it to or not. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So Ruth, how can people reach you? Um, how can they find you online, social media, website, your book? Well, I think the easiest way is that um, I have a website where you can then um, uh, sign up for my newsletter or read my blogs or um, uh, get the link to my book. And it's at Ruth K. Ross, R-U-T-H-K-R-O-S-S, as in Sam, um, RuthKRoss.com. And I'm also on Facebook and I'm on Twitter at, at RuthKRoss. And that's probably the easiest way. Well, and I love your blog. So hopefully people do sign up for that. I always, I, I never miss it. I always read it. It's always something interesting. And so thank you, uh, Ruth, for being on the Female Red Zone today. I've really uh, appreciated uh, your insight. And it's been a lot of great insight. Well, great. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much. Well, thank you. And from the Female Red Zone, this is Mary Beth Kosmeski. Thanks for listening to The Female Red Zone, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.